Welcome, and thank you for listening to the New Day Podcast. We are located in South Kansas City, proclaiming the good news of God's grace to our region and abroad. If you'd like more information, please visit our website, newdaykc.org. again of what, where we started with this, Paul is laying out to a very young church, okay? This church had only been going someplace between 10 and 18 years, had been in existence. So it's a young church, and they're following Jesus. They have cultural clashes going on. They're under a, a Roman rule which had its own set of issues and problems and what it was going through, both politically and uh, socially and everything that was going on in the clash of culture, more, it's so reminiscent of actually the time that we live in. And then Paul is explaining to them what Jesus did. So that they would know in their heart, so that they understood the not just the what happened, but the, the why it happened. What God was trying to get into their hearts and in their belief system so that they wouldn't believe wrong things and that they would have an understanding of the right things. I think it's so significant that, uh, again, you see this throughout history, uh, but when God chooses a man or a woman to bring a particular message on the earth. You know, it's not that Paul was more special than you, but it's just phenomenal what God unpacked and unloaded to him so that it could be given to others. So this letter to the Roman church, remember, we took all the nuances that go with that. That wasn't, uh, that wasn't even 50 people on a Sunday together. It was probably a you know, a, a few hundred people that didn't even know each other. They're more like meeting in secret cells than they are like, oh, here's a citywide church. They didn't even know they were a citywide church. Uh, I think it's one of the reasons Paul, because he didn't know very many of them personally, um, that he would write to the Romans. Because he, he probably, he's going, ah, okay, I'm going to write it this way, God. You know, help me, God, to, to give it this way. And then this letter is copied and passed around. Little group to little group to little group to little group, you know. And, and you know, one little group is meeting, uh, you know, right by the Appian Way. You know, a little, another little group is, is a small five to seven people that meet over by the Colosseum. You know, and they may or may not run into each other, but they're sharing this letter that actually is one of the most significant documents to our faith today. Isn't that stunning? They're, they're copying the secret and they're saying, you can't believe what he said here. You have to read this because it laid out for them the foundations of how they were going to live their lives differently now. Now that they were born again, what it meant. 
and what it didn't mean. And so Paul lays that out clearly. And so you come to this passage of Scripture in Romans 1 and 2. He lays out the fact of, uh, really he lays out hopelessness. He lays out what we as human beings have done in creation to, in response to the Creator and how we dumped Him, basically. We, we left Him aside. And that we, everybody sinned. All have sinned. And that there was no hope. There's nothing to hope in because it's bad. Because of who God is in His righteousness. And what sin did that as a testimony against the Creator. And then you get into this term called the wrath of God, which explained in the past couple of weeks, that's not talking about God being mad. Um, that's not talking about the wrath that you feel when somebody does an injustice to you. The wrath of God is a theological term encompassing all of God's nature. That he was right, pure, holy, and just. And that sin was a violation against that. So where's the answer? Well, this is what I love about this God that we serve, that we, that we lift up our voices to, that we would even say, Jesus, I love you, is God had an answer worked out for what we did. He was the answer. It's stunning. He was always the answer from the beginning. And that we couldn't, and this is really what's indicated by Romans 1 and 2, you can't resolve your sin issue. It is a hopeless endeavor, and that's why Paul writes this. He's saying, look, quit trying to resolve your sin issues. You can't do it. The more you deal with sin, the more you'll sin. The more you deal with the law regarding it inflames sin. So he's saying, don't do this. And he, then he does the great but now, so I want us to read, this is from the Phillips translation. We talked last week about how important but now those two little words are. Because they are both time-centered words, they're active words, meaning in the present, but they are also time-centered words in the sense of a chosen time. God chose this for all eternity. The but now is constantly happening, is what that means. It's the chosen time. So let's read this. But now we're seeing the righteousness of God declared quite apart from the law. Though amply testified to by both law and prophets, it is a righteousness imparted to and operating in. Now there's another word that that said, he used that whole phrase right there, and it's the word imputed. A righteousness imparted to and operating in all who have faith in Jesus Christ. For there is no distinction to be made anywhere. Everyone has sinned and everyone falls short of the beauty of God's plan. Under this divine system, a man who has faith is now freely acquitted in the eyes of God by his generous dealing 
in the redemptive act of Jesus Christ. I love the way that Phillips puts this. God has appointed him as the means of propitiation. We'll look at that word later too. So these are some big words that are really important about what you believe. The means of propitiation. A propitiation accomplished by the shedding of his blood to be received and made effective in ourselves by faith. God has done this to demonstrate his righteousness both by the wiping out of the sins in the past, the time when he withheld his hand, and by showing in the present time that he is a just God and that he justifies every man who has faith in Jesus Christ. What? These verses changed history. These verses, these short few, this thing that he declared made everything different. It made it, and it makes it different when, when you grasp it and begin, and you start wrestling with the concepts inside of yourself, not for other people. When you take it home, when you, that's why I said last Sunday when we ended, read this at home this week. I don't know how many of you did that. And get the but now inside of you. When, when that happens inside of us, we become a different person. And we can, you, it can happen on a daily basis. It can happen on an hourly basis. You can read it, walk away from it, come back and read it again and go, oh my gosh, and get something else. This is, it's active. It's, it's, the, it's the very energy. And it's here in these, in these three verses and what we're going to start to look at are three declarations of truth. These are exact truth. They're not, they're not like relative truth. Well, this is true for you with what you're going in through life right now. No, the, these, are, these are the declared truth. When Jesus says, I am the way, the life, and the truth, this is the truth that Paul is unpacking. He said, this is what's true about what God did for you. And the first truth is this, that God... <laughs> imparted his own righteousness into you when you said yes, when you believed that Jesus was raised from the dead. Um, it's not magic, it's spirit. And the but now becomes your reality. So if you remember last week I was saying, look, one of the mistakes that can be made even in the grace camp is this. When things go wrong, you don't have the eh, whatever. It's not eh, whatever. It's but now. Otherwise, you will go back and continue to try and deal with your sin. It's funny. I think we get mad at ourselves when we sin as believers. Do you? Like, is that a common? Like, I get so disappointed in me. I get so discouraged, and I, and I tend to start doing things like, I will start saying to myself, when are you going to grow up? You know, you get that sort of frustrated sense. Are you all tracking with me? You get this frustrated sense, like, 
you know, come on, I'm 68 years old. I've been walking with the Lord 40 years ago, and I can do that that quickly? What is wrong with me? Am I ever going to get this right? No. What hope is there? But now. The but now is the great answer, and it's the great test. Listen to this. Let me read something to you from people were asking me who my influences were. This is directly from Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Okay, his exposition on Romans, and these are the things that have dramatically affected me over the, when am I ever going to learn? You know, is there any hope that I'll ever grow up? That kind of stuff. So he addresses that specifically over Romans 3.21. He talks about because everything changed. And then he says this. These two words, but now, they come to us in a twofold manner. They come as the introduction of the gospel, but at the same time, they come as words that test us group this morning? Do you remember talking about tests? This, to me, is so important that I cannot leave it. Let us examine our experiences. When the devil attacks you and suggests to you that you are not a Christian and that you've never been a Christian because of what is still in your heart or because of what you are still doing or because of something you once did, when he comes and thus accuses you, What do you say to him? Do you agree with him? Or do you say to him, yes, that was true. But now, do you hold up these words against him? Or when perhaps you feel condemned as you read the scriptures. Anybody ever had that? I have. As you read the law in the Old Testament... As you read the Sermon on the Mount, as you feel that you are undone, do you remain lying on the ground in hopelessness? Or do you lift up your head and say, but now? This is the essence of the Christian position. This is how faith answers the accusation of the law, the accusations of conscience, and everything else that would condemn and depress us. These are indeed very wonderful words, and it is most important that we should lay hold of them and realize their tremendous importance and their real significance. Uh, One theologian said these are the two most important words in the Bible. Isn't that incredible? Pick number mm, more heaven. There is an aspect of faith of which it is true to say this, That faith is a kind of protest. This is really the part I wanted you to get. All things seem to be against us. The world, the flesh, and the devil. The world system is against me. My own flesh seems to fight my spirit. And the devil definitely doesn't like me. I'm, of all things I'm convinced, as much as I am convinced of God's love, I'm also convinced that the enemy hates me. Anybody else? back with me on that very well 
If everything's against you, are you a person of faith or not? This is the vital question. And your answer to it proclaims what you are. Having listened to all that can be said against you, and in the most grievous circumstances, do you then say, but now? That is a part of the fight of faith. Do not imagine that as a Christian you are going to be immune to the assaults of Satan or the attacks of a doubt. They will certainly come. But the whole secret of faith is the ability to stand up with these two words against it all. Thus we walk by faith and not by sight. But now are faith words. But now is believing what God believes. Because God believed that what he did did something to you. It imputed his righteousness into you. And so when he looks at you, he sees his own righteousness, not yours. That's what it means when it says it's apart from the law. You can't do anything. There's this secret law of humanness that wants to make sure that I'm worth saving. Surely there is something good within me that was like worthy of it all. No, it's not. No, it's not. You are not righteous. You didn't have the standing of God. There was nothing that you could lean on and you can't do the princess bride. Well, I'm mostly good. You know, he was mostly dead. No, you were dead in trespass and sin. You weren't mostly dead. You were dead. And Ephesians says, and he made you alive. That's what this term, God's righteousness means that is the life of God the very fact that God is the righteous being in all the universe is what made him alive sin kills the fruit of sin is death so God literally when God breathed into you and planted Randy, can I use you? He planted this incorruptible seed that went into this man's spirit. And with it, righteousness. That's what imputed means to mark down and make holy that which it declares. If you were had brain power imputed to you, you would be smarter than the rest of us. God imputes into you a righteousness. How is that different? This actually, the, the, if you study what happened with Luther and the whole idea of Protestantism and how we got there, everybody says it was over grace. It was actually over this issue. Because the church back then believed in the righteousness of God in Christ. They didn't believe in the righteousness of God in human beings. Human beings were unrighteous. And so you had to constantly be in confession to make sure you were okay. Luther went, no, I'm okay. God imparted, he imputed his righteousness to me. Now this is it. God sees you as he sees himself. 
That should tighten you up right now. It should be going, what? He gave his righteousness. He put it in you as a gift. Stunning, isn't it? And, and, and we've, we've left this aside. It's no longer the meat of what we believe. And so we struggle with saying, but now. It's hard for us to look in the mirror and go, there's Lloyd, the righteousness of God. Oh, try it. I've done it. Listen, I, I, start, I started practicing it because I, I took Romans 12, 1 and 2 and went, no, no, I'm going to keep trying this. You know, and fortunately I have my own bathroom because we're empty nesters and I can go to the bathroom and look at the mirror and go, there's Lloyd, the righteousness of God. And then just stare at yourself or come on, try this exercise tomorrow morning. If you don't believe me, it's hard. But see, you don't really believe that it's been imputed to you till you start declaring what God declares over you. That's why those, but now, this, this is such a, it boggles the mind. But it's the life-changing event that if we, so this is what righteousness of God, what does it mean? He is fully upright and just and nothing is wrong with him. That's you. You are a woman who is fully upright and just. There's nothing wrong with you. Do you believe that? But now, because it's given as a gift, you, can't, you cannot look to yourself and say, well, I'm going to try and be better. You might as well try and be bad. There's no difference. Seriously. You trying to be good is no different than you're trying to be bad. That's from the knowledge, you know, the tree from the knowledge of good and evil. Not from the tree of life. The other one's the direct one. You can look in the mirror and say, the righteousness of God this day on the earth to others. Oh, now you're eating from the tree of life because you're believing what God did. And that's what Paul's trying to get across here. There is no lack. There's no fault line. There's no changing. There's no hidden trap door. There's nothing wrong with God. Do you believe that? Do you believe it about you? I want to, but I know me. There, that's why it's, that's why Martin Lloyd-Jones says, look, this is a test. If anything is going to test you, is do you believe what God believes about you? That's what tests my soul now, not whether how moral I am. It's that I, I really do have right standing, not just with God, but in God. It's why Hudson Taylor says, Christ as life. He is my life. He's not just my savior. He is now I live in him, he lives in me. He, I, and so I live my life as Christ on the earth. Now, I don't want you to get a Jesus complex. You're not the martyr, you're not the savior. But at the same token, you are the righteousness of God. Who isn't this a, the real battle's there, isn't it? It's a stunning battle. And that's why it was so important 
this young church, and Paul said, oh, you guys, you, you'll get everything wrong. You've got to get this right. You've got to hear this. It's apart from the law, and, I'm, and he gave it to us as a gift. It's given, here's what it says, to faith to everyone who believes. So all I have to do is click my heels together, right? And go, there's no place like home, there's no place. No, it's not magic. It's better than that. If you will, using C.S. Lewis's term, it's the deep magic. Before the foundations of the world that God would raise up, not only a creation that looked like him, but could be like him. Spent my whole life trying to be like him. Not realizing that he gave his life so I could be. Therein was the juxtaposition. He was trying so hard. But that's legalism. That's the law. It says I receive it by faith in believing it's true. You believe I'm a good guy? believe I'm a righteous man? I am. See the difference? I am. Now hopefully that makes me a good guy and I'm not a jerk. I don't know. I still can lapse. It's when I quit believing this stuff. It's apart from the law. This is what you have to take away from this. It's not earned. Not one thing can be done to add or subtract. It is God's right standing, not God's right doing or your right doing. This is about God imparting it into you to impute it. Uh, it's, a, it's actually, uh, it's more, it, it is a legal term that Paul was using, but, but it's also, uh, this is hard, it's kind of a math term. Any of you got math dummies like me? You don't like math, you don't, you know. It's an equation term. He imputes it. He marks it down. You are marked. You're a marked person. They used to talk about he's a marked man. Yes, you've been marked by God. That's why, and, and that's why in Romans 4, we'll get to this, but there is, a, there is this strange juxtaposition of saying, um, and he does it from the negative point of view. He said, blessed is the man whose sins are not imputed to him. Nothing you ever do wrong will ever be marked against you in Christ. Well, go ahead and do what I want. No. No. As a matter of fact, it's the very opposite of that. But now... Live in the righteousness of God. Now, I, I live differently. I don't want to get away with stuff. When you think about it, listen, if you're still, here's, here's where the test of, I think, faith is, where it's a little bit loose. If you're still trying to get away with bad stuff, you need to, you need to camp in Romans 3, 21 through 24 for a while. Seriously, until your heart goes, oh. Because, listen, this is how, that stuff doesn't matter anymore. 
Matter of fact, even uh, a, a, a group was talking about testing, which it was such a wonderful conversation anymore. But I don't think about God testing me anymore. Because of this, I, I want to say this, but I, I wanted to save it for the preaching, so I didn't say it in our group. I don't live in the testings of God anymore. God's approved me. Does that mean he wants to show me stuff, uh, and I'll go through hard circumstances? Maybe, but I'm already approved. Listen, this is what Paul wrote elsewhere. You already, you were accepted in the beloved. That means you're approved. Can you stand this morning and say, I'm fully accepted by God, just as I am? If you can't, you'll try and get away with something. Because you try to make up whatever lack there is that doesn't make you feel okay. Half a Christian sinning is they want to feel better than what they feel. Hello? And so they're looking for it in places, you know, it's the old song, it's the old love song, looking for love in all the wrong places. <laughs> it doesn't work. <laughs> and it never fulfills, and you always feel stupid and guilty and ashamed of yourself. That's what it does every time. Every time. But the problem is, is you taught yourself to choose law to make yourself feel okay, and it can't. It can't make you, the law can't make you feel okay. Okay, you got it right this time. And so, you'll fail again. It's not about you getting it right. It's what you believe that God did and imputed to you, put inside of you. There's a righteousness in me that can never go away. As a matter of fact, there's a righteousness inside of you and I that cannot be hidden. It leaks. It, it oozes out of us. That's why we should never have to use words to testify. We're just righteous beings. So I have a wonderful story that goes with this. So when I worked at the House of Representatives, uh, instead of uh, eating with the legislators or eating with the staff of, of the research staff and the, and the in crowd. I would go down in the basement and I ate with the janitors and the people that took care of the building and the secretaries and that kind of stuff. And uh, I don't really even know why I chose to do it. I just liked them mostly. They were just, I just liked who they were, you know? Uh, and I and I kind of I learned different things. They they were of different ethnicity than I was. I wanted to be I wanted to be with them, so I went down there. And I'd been going down there for probably about three weeks. And you know, and they would they could smoke down there, so they would smoke at lunchtime. And I didn't care. I just didn't I didn't care what it smelled like. I didn't care if it was this or that. And that was back in the day where. You know, smoking was allowed in buildings and public places. And, and, and I sat at the same table, and there was this one little gal. And uh, she sat there, and people would ask me questions, and, and, and eventually it turned to uh, faith and my issues about that, and they wondered what I was doing down there anyway, so all the questions I was getting... 
And after, I don't know, it might have been more than two weeks, but after a couple of weeks, all of a sudden one day she goes, I can't take it anymore. And I was like, what? Everybody's like, what? Yeah, she's going to go postal on us here, you know. It was like really ragged, a little short gal. And, uh, and she stood up and she said, you come down here and you sit every day with us. Okay, I'm failing. I'm sinning. I'm smoking. I'm not living right for the Lord. And I know who he is. And I can't take it anymore with you sitting here. I don't care about any of that. If that's, I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to hang out with you. You want to hang out and talk about it? Not in front of everybody else. And so I went, okay. We became really good friends. She later became a representative of 22nd District of the state of Arizona. And God had a whole plan for her life that she was just a believer that didn't feel righteous. But I didn't utter a word, and she felt the righteousness of God in me. Now, you can call that, oh, yeah, she got convicted by the Holy Spirit. No, she just, it was, it was deep calling unto deep. It was righteousness, because I never said anything. I, I never said a word to her when she smiled. I didn't know she was a believer, but she knew I was. That's the righteousness of God that's inside of us, that that's what Paul's talking about here. God plants in you. So the next time you go to that little coffee shop that's hanging your artwork, you should probably stop by Martin City Coffee. What's it called? Oh, Martin City Coffee. <laughs> and, you know, and, and just go see Tammy's artwork and stuff. But you see, that's Tammy being the righteousness of God in Martin City. It's you working tomorrow morning. It's you having coffee and toast in the morning with each other. And it's a righteous. This is such a reality, and we've gone so far from what reality is. Instead of we want to play games with prayers and do incantations for each other. And it's just absolutely, I'm sorry, but it's absolute religious silliness. You looking in the mirror and going, Lloyd. You have been given the gift of the righteousness of God. That's not silly. And that's not playing games. That's being who God made you to be. He made you something. That was the thing that Luther understood, is that God made him. He had so many failures. He was, he was an anti-Semite. Seriously, he never got over it. Luther had all kinds of problems, but he understood this. God has imputed his righteousness to me, and no man can add to it or take away from it. He stood on that. We say he got a revelation of grace. No, he understood that God had made him the righteousness of Christ. It's mind-blowing. Look at 2 Corinthians. I'll end with this. 5.21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 
Christ in you, you in Christ, a righteous being. So for those of you that can do it today, put your hand on your heart. Say this after me. I am the righteousness of God in him, Jesus Christ. What a stunning truth. Everything that testifies against it, you have two words to contradict. But now, I, I can see Martin Lloyd-Jones when he's, I've seen a couple of films of him as he preaches, him putting his finger in the air. But now, when the enemy comes and tells me I'm the schmuck that did it again, but now, God declares I'm the righteousness of him. When I failed my friend and I have to go back and apologize, and they go, yeah, well, you're a really bad person. You're right, I'm capable of being a really bad person, but now? And so I would ask you to forgive me. It just changes everything. It's a game changer. To play, uh, there was a, a saying in literature at play in the fields of the Lord. And uh, you can play in this, you can experience it, you can, you, can, you can roll in the deep with God over this. When you start believing that He loves you in His righteousness and sees you, God wants to love and roll in around with you because you're him he just wants to roll around with you he wants to take you outside and put you on the swing and start pushing you and go wee because you're his righteousness now he doesn't see life separate from you the test is do you see life separate from and if you do, there's two words, but now, but now, God has imputed his righteousness into me. And it is not haughtiness to say, I'm a righteous person. It's so delightful. You begin to own it. You don't have to act goofy like I do. I know I get goofy. It's part of my personality. Some like it, some don't. I don't care. God likes it. He rolls around with me. He's got an incredible sense of humor. God has shared so much humorous stuff with me. Uh, and I think it's kind of the way I'm wired, and he likes the way we're wired. He likes the way you're wired. If you only want to be serious, God will meet you there. He'll be very serious with you. I'm still a kid at heart. I still like to ride a Harley Davidson. I still like to go too fast. I can drive over the speed limit. I go down the Kansas Drive, down 69, so I can go 80, fudge and go 80 uh, when the speed limit's 75, because y'all fudge, you know that. You're the righteousness of God. just admit you're silly and let God just enjoy you today. 
Don't make it harder than it is. He died for the hardness of what it is. Don't make it harder than what it is. Receive it. Accept it. If your test is to believe, then believe. And keep saying to him, I receive you again. Because that's what faith is. Faith is receiving. It's believing. Those who come to God must believe that he is. He is. He is. He's got this. We forget that. He's got this. He's got you. And he won't quit. He won't give up. He won't turn away. He won't be disappointed. He won't be distracted. He won't ignore you to test you. He won't leave you alone even when you want him to. You know how dogs will never leave you alone? He's like the great German shepherd of all German shepherds. He just will not leave you alone. Ever. But now, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Put my life inside of you. But now, would you stand? Listen, I, I don't want to make more of this than what it is, but when the seeds of doubt come tomorrow morning, Spray them with the roundup of but now. Because they're weeds. All they are is weeds. That's all they are. And the seeds of doubt, seeds of temptation, seeds of sin. But now, the righteousness of God is declared to you. You. Lord, I pray for us. I pray for us that we get this. Oh, man, help me get this, God. Don't let me escape. I pray, pray the great, dangerous prayer over myself. Don't leave me alone and don't let me escape this. I'll run. I'll run to other things. Don't let me get away from this. Pursue me. I don't know if I understand reckless love, but I understand relentless love, and it's you. Be relentless in your pursuit of us. Let us learn, but now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face to shine upon you. Be gracious unto you. The Lord, lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you love on each other as you go? Holy